So this week I was with a, uh, an old friend of mine and we had not seen each other for, uh, for a long time. And we're getting caught up and we're talking about our lives, you know, like you do when you see an old friend and just giving, you know, details. And, uh, and about halfway through our conversation, he looked at me and he goes, so how are you doing? And I knew what he was doing at that point. Like, I knew that, like, you know, forget the score of the Titans game. I want to, like, would you bury your soul to me now? So we're at a restaurant, you know, like, he's asking for a gift. Will you be vulnerable with me? And would you give me more than what you would just post online? Would you, would you be a friend to me and reveal what's happening behind all the details of Christmas and everything? And I, I was getting a little nervous and because I knew exactly what he was asking. And yet I remember what we've been talking about here for the last couple of weeks about vulnerability and community. And with that knowledge, I leaned in and said, no, really, I'm fine. I completely bailed. I swear I did. I, I completely pulled the parachute and said, I'm out of this conversation. I didn't want to go there. Have you ever had that experience where you're just not sure you kind of want to be that vulnerable or you want to be that open with other people. And I think it's because uh, it costs. And I know what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks when we've been talking about you choosing as the body of Christ to leave the world of me, the island of me, and come to the land of we, that we're, we're asking you to pay a price. So when I was pulling up here on Friday afternoon, I was late for a meeting and trying to get into the office. There was a car on the side of the road right out here and a guy just kind of banging on the tire of his car. And I realized he had a flat tire and he was really frustrated because he couldn't get the tire off. And I, I just see it and I, I, you just, I just kind of groaned. And, you know, and I'm not groaning because I don't want to be a good person. Like, I want to be a good person. You want to be a good person? I think I'm a pretty good person. Like, I, it wasn't that I'd like to think of myself as the kind of person that if you were in need, I would stop what I was doing and help you. But the groan was, I know that if I stop, I'm going to pay a price to help this guy. I'm going to be late for my meeting, probably going to get my hands dirty. And so I pull over and it turns out his jack broke and my jack didn't work. So I knew I had a jack back at home that would work on his car. So I had to go all the way back home and then come back and then show him how to use it and then get it on his tire. Is he here this morning? <laughs> because that would be a great story, wouldn't it be that I invited him to church and he's here today and you know, in a year he'll be a leader in our community, you know? Like that service has got to pay off somehow, you know, it's got to give me some dividends. But that's not really what happened. My hands got dirty and I was really late for this meeting. But it costs, it costs to not just drive by. And it costs for you not just to drive by church. So when we talked last week about, hey, if you're just going to live for you and you're not going to realize who you are, um, you're missing out and we're urging you. Like when you volunteer down the hallway, you know, we have 200 little kids that go to this church. And when you volunteer down there, you're not just wiping butts and noses. Like, you're, you're going down there to say, I'm engaging in the life of these people. And these little people typically come with bigger people around them called parents. And you get to know them too. And like when you join into the team here and you join a small group or 
I know it's hard. It's hard. It is so hard to go from where you're sitting right now, if you're not in a small group, to go into a small group. It's terrifying. Hey, I'm pastor of this church. I'm in a small group that meets on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Right, some of my peeps are here. Whoop, whoop. Yep. And uh, you know what happens every Thursday night at 6.30? Ugh. Renee, do we have a small group tonight? Like, like it's a different Thursday night. What, what's going on in me? Like, uh, and when I get to small group, I go, yes, we're having a small group tonight. But that 30 minutes window, there is a price that's being paid. This has been a long day. I'm tired. And it would be so much fun just to kind of veg out tonight. Uh, but then when I get with those peeps, it's so beautiful. But in that little moment, I have to choose to pay that price. And right now, you may be sitting there not in a small group. And I know you may be saying, I'm not willing to pay that price. I didn't pay it with that guy this week. I, if he's sitting here today, I'll call you later. All right. Do you know in 2020, we've started to realize that Jesus is doing something here. He's building something here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and also in verse 9, he gives us a little picture of it. He's talking about, as you come to him, the living stone, and he's talking about Jesus as the living stone, that, that God is building a house, and that Jesus is the foundation of that house. He's the cornerstone of that house. He's the measuring point to where every part of this house is measured. He says, that's the stone that was rejected by humans, but it was chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, he goes on to describe this house, this, this house that God is building. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare his praises who called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. See, what we're talking about here is that the Lord is building this house and he's asking us to participate with what he's doing. What he's doing. He's, it's not just a me, but it's, it's a we. Like, I loved this in the first service. Like, I'm getting so much better at this. I know, graffiti in church, it's awesome. <laughs> that this is a we. Oh, uh, that's not bad either. Like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. You're all going to get cancer from the fumes, but you know what? <laughs> We're here to help you see Jesus, right? You're a spiritual house. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter if you believe it or not, it's true. But it does matter that you believe it. Because it makes matter whether you participate. You're a holy priesthood. Do you know that? It doesn't matter if you know that or don't know that to know that you are that. But when you do know that, something powerful happens. Do you know that you're a chosen people? Do you know that you're a holy nation? We are a holy nation. And do you know, this is my favorite one. We're God's special possession. You are. We are. Do you know that? Is it possible that you need me for you to know that? That I need you for me to know that? He's asking us to join him. You know, um, when we look at how this whole crazy mess got started, 
when Jesus went to the cross um, and he died for our sins, he was crucified so that we can be forgiven. But then at the resurrection, when he rose again to newness of life, scripture says that we rose with him, that we too live a new life, that something dynamic happens when Christ comes into our life. It's not just that we follow his teaching, but we've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Something new has happened inside of us. We've been quickened. We've been awakened. What was dead now is alive. And that first group of we that that happened to, we read about them in the book of Acts. And this was a crazy group of people. I mean, this was the crowd that had the first experience that many of us in the room have had in our lives. And when we go to the, this book of Acts, we see what they were like. So in Acts chapter 2, and this is verse 42, it gives us a little snapshot of what these people were like. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what we're doing. I'm not an apostle. The apostles are no more. But the apostles wrote scripture, and we study what they wrote. And a fellowship. We're fellowship. And of the breaking of bread, that we share our lives with one another, that we write our name into each other's stories. And then finally, to pray. These people gathered together to study the word of God, the teachings of God, to fellowship with one another, to share their lives with one another, and to pray together. Prayer. And boy, did they pray. I mean, you cannot read the book of Acts and not look and see and at the end of it go, not only do those people pray, but their prayers were powerful. Like their prayers shook the world that they lived in. If you go to the book of Acts, you see that they prayed before they even chose leaders, and they prayed for leaders, and God rose up these leaders within their community. They were being persecuted. And you know what's crazy about the persecution? They didn't pray, God, stop the persecution. This is crazy. They prayed, God, let us be bold in the middle of the persecution. And God answered that prayer, and they became bold, and the church grew, and it just set the world on fire. You know, they were uh, primarily Jews. In fact, they were all Jews. Um, and as they were experiencing what Christ was doing in them, as many of us have experienced in our own life, they began to pray the crazy prayers of Jews. Lord, there are different cultures and there are different races that don't know the message of Jesus. Jesus, would you raise up men and women that would cross cultural and racial lines and bring the gospel to them? Yeah, he rose up some unbelievable warriors. There was a time where Peter uh, was in prison. And they gathered together and they began to pray that God would set Peter free. You've got to go read the story. You have time today. It's in chapter 12. And God set him free. And it was so crazy that Peter came to the house where they were all praying and knocked on the door. And uh, one of the servant girls comes to the door and opens it up. And she's so shocked it's Peter, she shuts the door and locks it and runs back into the prayer meeting. <clears throat> and Peter's like, hello, hey, uh, answer prayer right here. And she goes in and nobody believes her. Because <clears throat> you know why? They were just like us. They were just like us that we go, we believe in the power of prayer, but when God starts answering it, we go, nah, it can't be. When they were in prison, they prayed, and if you've never read the story in chapter 16, it's another prison story, that the Lord split the prison wide open, 
And the jailer, have you read this story? The jailer thought, I'm done for, all the prisoners are going to run away, and then I'm going to be executed. Took the sword and was going to kill himself. And Peter said, no, 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 wait, wait. And turned out this guy became a believer, and his whole family became a believer. And the story was that the prayers that they were praying was not for their freedom, but in fact to understand why they were in prison, because God had sent them there, because God had a son that he needed them to go after. And he happened to be the midnight jailer. Through their prayers, the church was strengthened. Through their prayers, the church grew. Through their prayers, they saw God do unbelievable things. Because you cannot, and we can talk about the theology of this, God uses prayer. He does. Providentially, he works through the prayers of his people. Does he still do that? Does he? No, thank you. Somebody said yes. <laughs> See, if we had like little kids in here, that, would, that question would have never gone unanswered. They'd be screaming, yes, no. Now let me, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer, but before I do, let me just, let, let me give a disclaimer. I'm not talking about your personal prayer life. If you know Jesus and you don't have a personal prayer life, you're walking through a desert with a canteen full of water refusing to drink it. Like, your, your, own, your own prayer life is life to you. And if you don't know that, you're, you're like owning a car and deciding you're going to push it all over town because you're too stubborn to realize if you turn it on, it has an engine. Like, I could use a hundred more illustrations like that. I'm just saying that and when I talk about our own personal prayer life, let me just say, our own personal prayer life is... It is the seduction of God. When we spend time with, in intimacy with our Father and in, in prayer, we are being seduced by Him to His love and to His grace. And that is powerful and transformative, and we all need that. It's kind of like, have you ever known, or do you know somebody right now that got engaged over the holidays, you know? And they're just, they're inseparable, you know? It's like two have become one, literally. They're just attached. And you see them at a restaurant, and they're over in the corner in a booth all by themselves, and, and their heads are like six inches apart, you know? You're like, okay, that's a little intimate. I'm not, I'm, there's no way I'm going to go over there and say hi to them, because they're so into each other, it's crazy. That's beautiful. That's private prayer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the power when we pray. Have you ever seen the New Zealand Blacks? They're a rugby team. Do y'all know them? Do, does anybody know that this city has a football team? It's called the, the Titans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the New Zealand Blacks, before they uh, compete, they come out and do a haka. And it's their warrior cry. And I don't even know what they're saying, but it makes me afraid just to see them do it, you know? And they come out and they're just, you know, just doing this, you know, and slapping themselves and looking all weird. And they're looking straight at their enemy. But the powerful thing is, is that they're all coming out as one. And as they speak, they speak as one. And as they do the haka, they do it as one. And the power is the intimidation that we are united. And the Lord says that when we pray, the world shakes. Do you know in 2 Chronicles, um, 
there's this crazy story of the king of Jerusalem at that time was a guy named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a good guy. He made some dumb decisions along his life, like all of us do. But there was a moment where these kings all came together against him and against Jerusalem. And they surrounded Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat was like, this is it. We're done. We're outnumbered like 101. There's just, there's, there's nothing we can do. Uh, total annihilation. And Jehoshaphat said, there is power in the we. And what he did was he called everybody to prayer and fasting. He said, I don't even want the animals to eat anything. We're all in this together. And we're going to pray. And you know what they prayed? God, we don't know what we're supposed to do, but our eyes are on you. This is a bad situation. And we have no idea how to get out of it, but our eyes are on you. In other words, their prayer was a prayer of desperation. Now, I don't know if you've ever known that kind of prayer of desperation, but that's the prayer of we, is the prayer of, des- of desperation. Let me show you. If you go to Luke chapter 11, um, which is kind of cool because it's a, a little early taste. It's a teaser because this spring we're going to be teaching through the whole book of Luke, which should be a lot of fun, but um, we can't teach everything, so uh, we're going to hit this today. Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Maybe you've heard that passage before, you know? Ask, seek, and knock. It seems that what he's saying there is, you know, just pray. And this is kind of all the same thing. I mean, asking is the same thing as seeking. Seeking is the same thing as knocking. And in reality, it's not. What Jesus is showing us is this ever-growing level of desperation. He starts with asking, and asking is easy. I mean, we all know how to ask if you go into Walmart and you see a mom with all her kids, even her kids know how to ask. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And the Lord doesn't say that we can't ask. He says, ask all you want. And what does that mama do? No, 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 no. Maybe, maybe. If you're good, you know, God never does that, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But God does act like a good father and says, ask all you want. And isn't it great in God's providential sovereignty He doesn't always give us everything we ask for. And, you know, years later, if you look back on some of the things that you asked for, you're thankful that God didn't give you some of the things that you were asking for. In his kindness, he filtered your ask. But he didn't say, stop asking. He said, bring it. Come on, bring it all. But seeking, seeking takes me a little deeper. Seeking takes me away from just the childlike asking now to a childlike searching. Now I'm actually engaging more into this process of prayer. In Psalm 63, it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know what he's talking about there 
is that seeking takes me beyond just the immediate things that I'm asking for and takes me deeper into the heart and soul journey of who I am. So if you don't know this, every desire that you have, the root of that desire is that you were made for God and he's the one that meets that desire. Every hunger you have is in its roots desires that I hunger for God. Every, everything I long for in my heart, the root desire is I long for him. But when I stop and I, I consider beyond my ask and go down to the very depths of my heart, I begin to realize that what I seek for is him. It's much deeper. You know, when Midtown first started, uh, well, it really hadn't started. There was a group of people, about five people, that came over to our house every Sunday. And we asked them, would you move from ask to seek? And seek actually is a commitment. Like seek means that I'm going to arrange my life in such a way that I'm going to make room for that. I'm going to interrupt the things that I typically do to make room to seek. And so these five people would come over to our house every Sunday night and we uh, would break bread together and we would pray together and we just prayed, prayed. We prayed, God, would you, would you start something in this city? Would you start something beautiful in this city? Would you show yourself? It was crazy how faithful these five people were. And they even brought a couple of people with them and some said, ah, this is weird. I'm not doing this again. And then some stuck with us, but when we started Midtown, one of the things that we were praying for is, God, one, would you bring people to Midtown that have no idea how they got there, except for the fact that you brought them? And two, we need somebody that knows how to play the guitar because none of us do. <laughs> I mean, come on, I, I can do a D and a C, but still Kevin won't let me touch them, all right? Those are chords on a guitar, by the way. All right, shows you how musical I am. So uh, the first Sunday... We met on a Sunday night, and we were down at Scarrett Bennett, up in one of their upper classrooms, because we only had five or six people. And that this was the first night nobody knew that we were starting, except for the, this five group of five people. And as we're gathering around and, and getting in a circle, because we were going to meet in a circle, uh, these two college students walked in. <clears throat> and... Uh, we were all like, hey, good to see you. And at the end of the service, I went up to, and when I say service, what I mean is the end of the share time. Uh, I was just, how did you guys find out about us? And they said, well, so-and-so told so-and-so, they told so-and-so. They told. In other words, it, it was a chain that I couldn't follow. And I said, well, it's great to have you here. And she looked at me and she says, uh, we're in a band at Belmont and it's called Blind to Babylon. I'll never forget that name. And uh, we have just decided to, uh, the band is over because we're going to be your worship leaders. And Joel and Karen became our worship leaders for the first two years of Midtown. It's like Peter standing at the door, right? Really? Really? So we not only ask, we seek, but then here comes my favorite. We knock. Now, I know I'm speaking to a generation of people that have never knocked on somebody's door, all right? I know, I know. I mean, have you ever gone to a neighbor's house and just knocked or driven over to a friend's house to see if they were home? No, I know. So 
The word is knock. All right, say it with me, knock. It's a Greek word. It means to put your knuckles on a door, all right? You know why we don't knock? Because it's rude. And that hasn't changed a bit. That was rude back then. You know why we don't rock knock? Because it feels disrespectful to bang on somebody's door. It seems bold. You know what scripture calls it? Shameless audacity. I'm about to show you. But we've gone from ask, oh yes, ask whatever you want, to now seek what's really in your heart. Now to, you ready? Do you know what this means to be shameless, to have audacity? Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to care about something so much that you don't care what anybody thinks about you? Do you know what it's like to see something you so deeply desire that you don't care if you look like an idiot when you go after it? As a matter of fact, you don't even think about it. So years ago when we lived in Charlottesville, we lived in this townhouse community. So all these townhouses are together and it was like late at night, early in the morning, like three in the morning. And I wake up to people yelling. And I go to the window and I look out the window and our neighbors across the street are out in the parking lot going at it. Like it's a couple, they're just going at it, just screaming at each other. And I'm like, oh snap, like this is crazy. And, uh, and I look over and right on the front doorstep are their three little children watching mom and daddy scream at each other. And then I see something that is unbelievable. Down right underneath the door ledge, I see our front door open and Renee, my wife, is running across the parking lot. When she gets to these people, she goes, okay, stop it. I know, look at this. She goes, stop it. I know you guys are mad at each other, but you need to go in your house and deal with this. And those three little kids are coming to my house and you're not gonna come and get them until you calm down and get under control because they don't deserve to watch you guys this way. Let's go, kids. Oh. Yes, Renee. I told the first service that was when I, my true fear of Renee began. Because <laughs> I'm just up there judging. She's being shameless. And why? Because she cared about those little children. She cared about them. I mean, yes, but she cared about those kids and she crossed all acceptable lines of saying, I'm taking over your kids right now. I'm taking them over and they're coming to my house. I'm not even asking your permission. And I want you to get your tails in your house and take care of your business in there. And when you've calmed down, you come back and love your kids. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? Is that what God is saying when he says knock? Well, I want to prove it to you because in Luke chapter 11, the disciples go, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray like this. Our Father who are in heaven, and you've prayed it a lot of times, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer, and then without any explanation, without any setup, with anything other than that, Jesus kind of leans in, and you can also, you can almost, I feel that he's smirking here, all right? But that's my sanctified imagination, because Jesus goes, um, hey guys, I have a story for you. Now this is Jesus just said, here's the Lord's Prayer, here comes the story. Suppose you have a friend. Oh no, here it comes. 
And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So here's the scenario that Jesus is setting up for these bold disciples after giving them the Lord's Prayer. He, you know, I think that Jesus at this point, after giving the Lord's Prayer, would have said, now remember guys, you need to teach everybody this prayer and they need to say it in church every Sunday until I come back. But he didn't do any of that. He goes, let me tell you a story. And the story is, a guy's asleep in his house and a friend comes knocking on the door. And he opens it and he goes, Bert, I didn't know you were coming. Bert comes in the house and he goes, oh, you know what? This is so embarrassing. I have no food in my house. What kind of a host am I? You're hungry. You've been traveling. I know. My next door neighbor has plenty of bread. Let me get up, go over and get something for him so that you're taken care of and I'm not so embarrassed because I'm such a poor host. So that's the situation. So he goes over and he says, and suppose the one inside answers. So he's knocking on the door now. Neighbor, give me some bread. <laughs> And the guy says, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my kids and I are in bed. Go away. I can't get up and give you anything. Oh, pretty grumpy. Jesus, as I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Mic drop. That's all you need to know about prayer. I don't, does nobody else find that amusing? Jesus is like a ninja. Like, what are you saying? Is he saying that God is grumpy? Is he saying that God is asleep? Is he saying that when we pray, we're bothering God, but if you just keep praying and there's enough of you praying, then God's going to finally get out of bed and go, all right, then I'll give you some bread. Well, no, what Jesus is saying is he's painting this picture of somebody that's so much unlike God, yet gave you what you wanted, and yet God is so much for you. In fact, he says, that's not God at all, yet you got what you wanted. God is your father. He's not just your father. He's the one knocking on the door of your life. But yet he calls us to shameless audacity. Have you ever been desperate? Are you desperate this morning? Are you desperate enough to run across a parking lot and be shameless? Maybe we need prayer to open us up to how desperate we are. Do you know that you matter? Do you know that? Do you know that not only do you matter, that you are loved, that you are gifted, that you are called, that you are God's precious possession? Do you know that? If you don't know that, it is desperate! I swear, because if you don't know that, even though you're a part of the we, you're going to live your life as if that's not what you are. I don't know how more desperate that can be. Do you know that you maturing and understanding the grace that's been given to you matters to this city? Do you know, do you know how you mature relationally and emotionally matters to the people sitting around you? Do you know that? Do you know how much that matters? Do you know that the kids in this church matter? Do you know your kids matter? They matter. 
you know what? My prayer is that out of this wing of the building, there will be stories they'll tell for a hundred years of what's happening down there and the fruit that it's going to bear in this world. Because, hey, that matters down there, right? Right? That's where we all go, right? Right? This city matters. It matters. As I told you, I don't, I don't really watch football. But I'm pretty excited about the Titans winning last night. I mean, come on. Come on. I don't care who you are. You know why? Because I'm telling you that when they succeed, our city succeeds. Scripture talks about that when the righteous flourish, the city rejoices. And I'm praying that this city would thrive, would thrive. And I'm praying that we, the church, would thrive with that city. In other words, that it matters how we are in this city. In fact, this is our time. This is it. You're sitting in that seat in this church, in this city. 100 years from now, you will not be. This is our time. That matters. And having clarity about how much it matters is desperately important for us. That's why scripture says, don't set your eyes on what is seen, set your eyes on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And for me to, for us, for we to cry out, God, change our vision. Change our vision. Help us to see what is eternal so that we know that you're the good father. So that we know that when we cry out to you, you, sh- you shake prisons. When we cry out to you, you shake cities. When, you, when we cry out to you, you cross cultural and racial lines and you make the gospel explode. When we cry out to you, you cause your church to rise up. I get pretty excited about that. The reason that prayer is so powerful, if you don't know by now, is that it's not that we're powerful prayers, it's that one we're praying to is powerful. So there was this guy who moved to New York City. He was a small town guy, Jeremy. And uh, he didn't really know what he was going to do. Maybe some of you have moved to Nashville doing that. You know, I don't have a job. I'm just kind of going. And he showed up and he looked for jobs everywhere. And he ended up just taking a job in a clothing store. Like he was a clerk. And Jeremy's a nobody. Let me just put it to you that just plain. He's nobody. You pass him on the street. There's nothing remarkable about him. He was, you know, he wasn't dirt poor. He wasn't homeless, but he's poor. Like, just a young guy working on the streets. No significant story behind him. He wasn't any Nobel, you know. He wasn't a scientist. He, wasn't, he was nobody that anybody was ever going to quote in any sermon anywhere. But something happened to Jeremy when he was in New York. Somebody shared the gospel with Jeremy. He said, let me tell you about the one who went to the cross and then rose again and give us newness of life and make you a we. And you know what Jeremy did? I'm in. I'm in. And as he began to grow and mature in his faith and understand, wow, man, all the stuff we talked about, he's like, this, this is for me. This is reality. He started to ask God, God, would you want to use me in the way that you're furthering your name and your grace in this city? And so he started kind of looking around. And there, just down the street, there was this Dutch Reformed church. Is anybody here Dutch Reform? Okay, all right, so a lot of them around. Uh, it was a dying church. In fact, hardly anybody went to church there. And he went down there to check it out, and the pastor of this church 
said to Jeremy, Jeremy, we've got a little bit of money in our coffer. Could we hire you? He says, nobody goes to church here hardly anymore. And he goes, what do you want me to do? He says, I just want you to go around to all the neighborhood houses and knock on the door and invite people to church. Jeremy said, okay, what? And he goes, yeah, just knock on doors and just say, hey, I'm from the Dutch Reformed Church. And which is a mouthful, isn't it? I'm from the Dutch. And uh, I'm just inviting you to come to church. So Jeremy said, maybe this is the way I'm going to serve the Lord. So Jeremy started to do that. He's, every morning, he'd get up and go to work, and he'd knock on doors. And uh, people would come to the door, and he'd say, hey, my name's Jeremy, and you don't know me, but there's this Dutch church down the street. We'd love for you to come. Nobody would come. Like, he was a complete failure at getting people to come to church. So every noon, day at noon, he would take his lunch, and he would go into the little chapel of this church, and he would just spend the time eating lunch and praying. And something weird happened. He started to feel renewal in his own heart. As tired as he was from being rejected all morning long, when he sat there and prayed, something powerfully intimate started to happen and give him strength to go back out again in the afternoon where he'd get rejected all day. And then he'd come back at noon and pray again. And he began to think, you know what? If God's renewing me like this in my prayer time, maybe other people need to experience this too. So he had a great idea. He found some money and he printed 20,000 flyers. 20,000 flyers. And on these flyers, he said, I'm inviting you to a prayer meeting at noon at the Dutch Reformed Church. Brilliant, right? And so he's like, okay, this, this is great, all right? So he gets all the flyers out. He shows up for the first prayer meeting. It's noon. Nobody's there. <sighs> Poor Jeremy. So he gets down on his knees, as was his custom, and he just began to pray. Pray for the city. Pray for renewal. Pray that the Lord would bring his light into this city and that he, God would increase his fame in New York. And about 15 minutes into the prayer, he felt something brush his shoulder, and he opened his eyes, and it was a unicorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just ruined the story, did I? <laughs> No, I'm telling you what happened is he looked up and somebody had joined him. And uh, by the end of their prayer time that first day, four other guys had joined him. So the five of them are sitting there and Jeremy's like, well, okay, guys, let's just keep praying. So every day at noon, these guys began to pray. Within a year, 6,000 people were praying with Jeremy. They had so many people that were coming to pray that they had to open up other chapels and other churches all over the city of New York. In fact, many would say that this was the birthplace of the third great American revival to where over a million people came to know the Lord because one nobody, one nobody named Jeremy felt God was calling him to pray and simply invite other people to him. So I'm, I'm over. This is done. I'm telling you why I'm preaching this is because I believe that God's birthing a movement of prayer here. I believe that this year, 2020, I think God is not just calling us to we so you can have a great church to go to and say, I really like going to that church, but that we is, hey, we are the church. 
And this is our time, and we want God to shake this city. We want him to light a fire in this city. And I told the first service, I, this is where I tell you, here's our plan. I don't have a plan. I don't know, Lord, what to do, but my eyes are on you. And I literally believe that out of the service this morning, and this one right here, God's about to raise up some warriors that say, you know what? I know what it means for us to pray. And if I don't, I'm going to learn. There's a Jeremy in this room. I believe it in my soul. And God sent you here to birth a movement, not just here at Midtown, but across this city. What does that look like? I don't have a clue. I know that the Holy Spirit, man, he loves you guys. He does. And he is jealous for you to know how much he loves you because he's going to call you into some scary places. Wow. In some powerful ways. So that's my message this morning. And uh, we're about to practice that. We're about to go into a time of worship and prayer to lead you in prayer. And praying that God would move, not just in this room, but across this city. And I would urge you to join us as we do that and hear what the Lord has for you. Father, I just uh, am shocked by how much you love your kids and how much you love it when your kids come together and pray. You call it incense to the throne of God that our prayers rise up to you as beautiful and fill your temple. And I thank you that, Lord, you have proven time and time again that when your people come together and we pray and seek your face and we knock with shameless audacity that you move and you write stories that have your name all over them. And Father, there are people in this city, um, Lord, that need you desperately. I pray you would awaken your church, even in this room this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.